Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, the 9th of September. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Annika Smethurst, whose biggest news in life is that she did her tax yesterday. Have you done yours yet, Tom? I have, and I'm hassling my accountant to find out how much I have to pay the tax department, so... Not really looking forward to the answer, actually. <laughs> I know, long gone are the days where I used to get a nice little tax return. Anyway. All right, let's not complain about tax. But let's talk about the recession. Uh, we're going to find out exactly what a recession means and how it affects you. We are doing things, hopefully, that will keep people in jobs more than we have in the past. A little bit of a recession session coming up in just a moment on the briefing. Before we get to that, let's get into the big news of the day. A man has been killed by a great white shark on the Gold Coast, the first fatal mauling there in more than 60 years. The 46-year-old man was bitten on the leg at Greenmont Beach in Coolangatta, right next to the iconic Snapper Rocks, a very popular surf break. Uh, He was pulled from the water just after five last night and died on the beach. Witness Jade has told Seven it looks like it was hunting fish. Well, I could see a school of fish out in that area where he was, and there was probably about 30-ish birds like diving in in that area. So there must have been a bit of activity underwater, and that was probably what the shark was going for as well. Now, local beaches will be shut today as lifeguards try and determine how the large shark slipped through shark nets. And that is the sixth fatal shark attack this year, Annika, which is really concerning. Um, we looked at this a few months ago on the briefing and we were already double the annual average by that point. It feels like there's one every day at the moment. It's incredible. And young people are being warned to stay off TikTok for a couple of days after an extremely disturbing video of an American man taking his own life went viral. The incident was live streamed on Facebook a week ago. Yesterday, the video started gaining traction on TikTok and to a lesser extent on Instagram, Twitter and also Facebook. We know that it has been embedded in cute cat and cute dog videos. So they pop up as a suggestion, you click on them, and then partway through, that's when it turns graphic. That was cybersecurity expert Susan McLean. Thousands of Australian schools also alerted parents, advising parents to keep their kids offline. And Susan McLean has this advice about how to talk to your child if they've seen the video. How do you feel? What did it make you feel? What have your friends been saying? You know your child best, and if you are remotely concerned about their mental health, then get off to the GP, get a referral. But of course, remember there is Kids Helpline, eHeadspace, Youth Beyond Blue. Toby Dagg from the eSafety Commissioner's Office says if you or your child hasn't seen it, there are ways to avoid it. Being careful around opening messages that aren't from people children are familiar with. Being careful about exploring content on social media for the next day or two is pretty sound advice. The other thing is to try and turn off wherever possible autoplay on videos. That is really sound advice. If you need help, there is Lifeline, of course, 13 11 14. And if a child you know has seen it, they can get help on sites like Kids Helpline, eHeadspace or Beyond Blue. Pretty concerning story there, particularly given uh, the number of young Australians on TikTok. TikTok say that two-thirds of its 1.6 million Australian monthly users are under 25. And two Australian journalists have been rushed out of China amid fears for their safety. Last week, Chinese police showed up at the homes of the ABC's Bill Bertels and the Australian Financial Review's Michael Smith to question them about national security issues. And they also inform me, which is the most disturbing, that I'm subject to what's called an exit ban and and I can't leave China. So this is all, as you can imagine, pretty scary, quite intimidating. That was Michael Smith on the ABC. The two journos spent the next few days sheltering at the Australian Embassy. 
the travel bans were eventually lifted on the condition that they be interviewed by Chinese police. They were interrogated about Chung Lee, the Australian TV anchor for the Chinese government's news channel who was arrested last month. Here's how Bill Bertles described it. The whole episode was really more one of harassment of the remaining Australian journalists rather than a genuine effort to try and get anything useful for that case. It felt very, very political. Foreign Minister Maurice Payne says the whole incident is disappointing. Australia is, of course, a strong supporter of media freedom, freedom of the press, uh, and that it is disappointing that after many years, Australia will not have a media organisation present in China for some period of time. Wow, it's just another nail in the coffin for our relationship with China, isn't it, Annika? Yeah, it's incredible that it's got to this. As they say, first time since the 70s, we won't actually have anyone based there. So how we get our news and the sort of information that comes out, who knows? Yeah, especially as our relationship with China becomes more fractured and I guess a more important story. China's defended questioning our correspondence, saying it's part of normal law enforcement. And Beijing has also revealed the charges against Chung Li. She's accused of criminal activities endangering national security. And a Western Australian nurse who volunteered to help with Melbourne's second wave has caught COVID-19. WA's Health Minister Roger Cook says she and her colleagues are now in quarantine. We were all aware of the risks when they set out. So we're going to do our best now to support them and their families to make sure that we look after them and get them back to Western Australia as safely as possible. Meanwhile, one of the country's top health experts has conceded that Victoria's contact tracing system has been below par. Yeah, Nick Coatsworth, Deputy Chief Health Officer, says it has improved with 99% of cases now getting a result in 48 hours. Which is a a critical metric and one that the other um, jurisdictions are achieving at 100%. But gee, 99% is is pretty good coming from um, where, um, where things were only a few weeks ago. And yesterday, Dan Andrews, the Victorian Premier, confirmed an overhaul to the state's tracing system, including five new suburban hubs. So it sounds like they are taking a harder look at their contact tracing system, Annika. Yeah, sending some people interstate too to pick up some tips just to make sure they're not missing anything. This is something people have been very critical of the Andrews government about. It wasn't just the hotel quarantine. It was that the cases got so out of control, some people just weren't even being contacted when they came into contact with another case of COVID-19. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen these issues addressed before they they were delivered this really tough pathway out of lockdown. This is something I think we'll be chatting about later in the week. Last week, Australia got the gloomy economic news we all knew was coming. Australia is in a recession for the first time in almost 30 years. Australia is in recession and it's the most severe one on record. 28 consecutive years of economic growth has now officially come to an end. Mr Speaker, this is a devastating day for Australia. It sounds pretty scary and it is, especially if you're one of the one million people out of work. Um, Young people have been hardest hit in the job market and the economy has literally shrunk. The 7% drop last quarter was our biggest economic contraction since the Great Depression in the 30s. But there is some good news. Look, it's better than Treasury predicted at the start of the pandemic and better than almost every other Western country. The UK, for example, went down by 20% in the June quarter. 
So what does a recession mean? What impact does it have on our lives? And how worried should we be about this? Jessica Irvine is an economics writer for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, and she's been cutting through some of the gloom, putting a slightly optimistic spin on the recession. And clearly she hasn't lost her job. (laughs) Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Can you explain what a recession actually means? Yeah, look, I think it raises a lot of fear for people and sort of brings back images of the Great Depression and when people were queuing outside, you know, people were queuing outside Centrelink. So we had those scary images for people. Um, When economists talk about a recession, uh, there's multiple definitions of recession. The one people in the media we talk about is a technical recession. And that is when you see the value of our economic output shrink from one three-month period to the next three-month period. So what we saw this time is that when you added up the value of all the goods and services Australians were able to produce in January, February, March, and then you compare that to everything we were able to produce in April, May, June, just getting that right, um, we saw that the value had shrunk by 7%. So we still produced a lot of stuff, which is quite remarkable given that most of the country was in lockdown, but we produced 7% less. That's what it means to be in a technical recession. And we actually did that two quarters in a row. So we'd done that in the first three months of the year. That was less than the last three months of last year. And we did that twice in a row. Boom, we got that technical recession. So it's not like our economy has literally disappeared. It's just not as big as it was before. It's still 93% of what it was. It's still around $2 trillion. It is, um, you know, which is quite remarkable given that most of the world was in lockdown and indeed that most of us couldn't leave our houses. Should we worry about a recession? Obviously, it is not something governments want to achieve, but how bad is it? Yeah, look, it's really bad if you were part of that 7%. And there were really huge parts of our economy that usually are ticking along, providing jobs for people. Obviously, domestic tourism is down the toilet. Um, Anyone in the higher education sector would know that the absence of foreign students is really hurting there. Anyone who works in the cafes, you know, hospitality sector has been really hit um, jobs wise. And unfortunately, that does tend to be younger people in those more casual and entry level positions. So yes, there has been some really targeted people who have suffered. But then we've also got to remember that there has been support from government as well. The other reason you've written that we shouldn't worry is that by the time you hear about a recession in the media, most of the economic pain has already been felt. Yeah, look, I kind of laugh about it. We get really um, excited about these national accounts, but anyone who was alive during the June quarter and sort of (laughs) stuck their head out the window would have known that we were producing a lot less goods and services than we were before. Um, So, But it takes the Bureau of Statistics a little while to go around with their um, cardigans and clipboards and actually get the official figures. So I sort of say to people, look, if you'd suffered already during that period, you wouldn't know about it. And just seeing the headlines on, on TV, if you know, if you hadn't suffered already, don't start just because us in the media have suddenly got a hold of, of a statistical report to tell you things were not great. While we may have been through the worst of it in terms of the drop, there is that term generational scarring that comes out of recessions. So can you explain to us what that means and how long term, I guess, those scars will be around? Yeah, that is a term that's a technical term that economists use um, for when you have these big negative 
events, there are some people who have been knocked out of the labour market who may never get back in. So if you're an older person working in the tourism industry, you know, you may not have a chance to reskill and get back in. And particularly when you look at the wages of people who are coming out of university, coming out of training during recessions, you can see a negative knock-on effect with their wages throughout their life that they're lower during a recession. But then I do remind people that that's a historical account of recessions. And this recession is really different. So if you were in the 1990s recession, there was no job keeper support. There was no attempt to try and staple you to the job and have your employer get you back when coronavirus passes. So that we are doing things, hopefully, that will keep people in jobs more than we have in the past, but that is the risk um, that we do get that scarring effect for people. If they're fresh out of uni, they've got their skills and then the world has moved on and those skills aren't needed or they don't get a chance to practice those skills. Yeah. So Jess, what is your advice to young people living through these economic times? Look, you've got to access as much of the government support that's available as you can. Um, you know, you, you've got to look if you can get JobKeeper, JobSeeker. Um, you've got to talk to your landlords to see if you can get a rental deferral. If you've got loans, you can get loan deferrals. There is help at hand at the moment. I'd expect that a lot of young people, unfortunately, it's going to mean living at home with mum and dad for a bit longer, but, you know, but if you want to live a good life, you've got to make sure you've got enough income to cover your spending, you know, and a lot of that is in your control with your spending. You can try and cut back. The income is harder, but there is income support for you if you need it. So I would just urge, you know, people, if they see those headlines, and it all sounds scary, just remember that there are options for support for you and, and to sort of think about it in a methodical way. And just because a lot of bad things are happening doesn't mean that every life has been irreparably damaged. Is there also some hope that this recession will be more short-lived because of the way it came about, that it was this external shock of a, a pandemic, not a an underlying fundamental deeper problem with our economy that, that was brewing over time? Yeah, look, when we've had previous recessions, it's usually been that, you know, maybe the tax system had become too stultifying for the economy or certain sectors of the finance industry had got out of control, like during the GFC. There's sort of longer term reasons why we sort of went downhill. And those are things that take a while to fix. With coronavirus, if we got a vaccine in the next couple of months, it could all be over pretty soon. You know, if we could switch back on the bits of the economy that we suddenly switched off. That is a possibility that we could be back to normal sooner than you think. Now, Jess, you encouraged people to save there, but that is something we're actually doing. The saving rates jumped up to 20%. That's not necessarily good for the economy, is it, though? The government really need us to get out and spend. Is that right? Well, they do. And the reason why savings has gone up is because people's incomes have actually gone up. So if you, if you remember when you were on um, JobKeeper, some people were getting actually payments that were above and beyond what they used to get. So, And actually when the Bureau added it all up, um, when you added up JobKeeper, the $750 economic support payment, the $550 JobSeeker boost, um, early access to super, loan referrals, rental deferrals, all those things have actually boosted our income. And we have chosen to save some of that because we just couldn't spend it in the shops over a period. But actually, 
it's the biggest quarterly rise in savings that we've had on record since the 1970s. So people spent less, they got more income. Uh, we haven't had a chance to spend that income yet, but it does mean that it is sitting there with people when things are open again. So the government have a chance to fix this next month, do some real structural changes through the budget. What do you think we might see? Are there going to be any sweetness for us? Well, I definitely think we're looking at some tax cuts. There are already um, tax cuts which increase the threshold at which you hit the 19.5 cent rate and the 32 cent rate that are supposed to kick in from 2022. So we might find that the government pulls that forward. So if you are still in a job, still earning an income, you might benefit from some income tax relief, which is is real money in your pocket. I think there's the banks are still going to do a lot more um, on loan deferrals. We've got them now saying that they're going to ring everybody who's on a loan deferral and, and sort of work out a plan and also just sort of have a, a this road to recovery that they keep talking about. That is what we're expecting Frydenberg to outline when we have the budget next month. That was Jessica Irvine from the Herald and the Age newspapers casting some positivity on the gloomy economic situation. Annika, as she mentioned, the government have taken huge measures to to smooth out this bump in the road. But the reality is for young people, they won't just be hit hardest by the job losses. We'll also be the ones paying off this spending with our taxes for 20 years or more. Yeah, that impact on generational scarring too that economists talk about, that just even coming out of university at this time or being at the start of your career, it really impacts wages for the whole of your life. But look, the government are doing more than ever before, as she said. This is not something they did in the 90s. And we've got the budget next month. Hopefully there's some tax cuts. And look, they could be between a couple of hundred extra bucks a year up to $1,000 more in your pocket. And apparently we all have to get out there and spend. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the growing opposition to Victoria's pathway out of lockdown. A Podcast One production.